You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 62. I'm your host, Emily Carney. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. Dr. Sterling, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, I've been following you for a while now and your page. And so I'm just, I've just been looking forward to our conversation uh, for so long now. I know we tried to connect before all the pandemic stuff happened and then, you know, 2020 happened. And so I'm glad (laughs) we could finally make it work. So for anyone who doesn't follow you and isn't familiar uh, with you and your page, could you just start off by telling everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, and then also your career trajectory? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm Christine Sterling. I'm a board certified OBGYN. I have two kiddos and I left my medical practice in 2019 um, after just really growing so frustrated with the system and my inability to provide the type of care and support that I really believe people deserve. And I was faced with a few options when, you know, when I saw that it's just our system is inadequate, we're not appropriately preparing people for postpartum, we're not appropriately supporting people for postpartum, and really throughout the entire not postpartum has is a real passion of mine, but really the whole thing, you know, from from pregnancy loss to, you know, um, transitioning to parenthood, I, I don't I just don't think that we do enough. And so um acknowledging this this failure of our system i had to make a choice to you know either i thought well i could go into research and academics and um try to study the problem and make changes in the way that we train people and and um make changes there i could start a like concierge cash paying practice where i could actually um ignore insurance because insurance is a big problem in why we have the system that we have. I could just not take insurance and I could, you know, provide excellent supportive care, but to a small group of people who could afford it. And then I realized that there was this other option of doing this, creating support online and creating community um, and education online. And um, that to me, I am an incredibly impatient person (laughs) and I'm a passionate person. And so, yeah, for me, that was like, okay, I can actually make an impact tomorrow and I don't have to wait for another generation. You know, when I thought about doing academics and research, it's like, yeah, but that's going to take a generation or two of doctors. So this was my way to, you know, um, start trying to change the problem right away. Hmm. I remember seeing a post that you made recently about the six week checkup and how, oh my God. you know, we don't yep. have to just be satisfied with, Oh, you're cleared for exercise and sex. And that's yeah. it. And that really resonated with me because I mean, if you've spent any time on our, our page, mother good looking at it yeah. and what we stand for is that's the main reason why I wanted to start mother good as well, because it, in my experience, like I was, you know, I had, lots of pelvic issues that I was going through and they weren't even addressed at the six week checkup. And so, you know, that's kind of like the catalyst of starting mother good. And just as you were saying, it's such a great place to be. And, 
I just find that so inspiring that that you left your practice and that you are just starting this movement online. And it seems to really be resonating with so many women, at least what from what I've seen online. Yeah, I mean, I think that we are all and, and especially after 2020, I think we are all really taking a hard look at the systems that are in place in our life and, and, and questioning them. There is. Um, no doubt that this six-week appointment is is incredibly it's 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 incredibly misogynistic. It has you know, and it's um, oftentimes it's very paternalistic. You know, a lot of people describe going to that appointment. It's really like you know pushing birth control, which I understand the medical reasons behind why a, a provider would want to talk about birth control. I'm not saying it's bad to talk about birth control, but really just. Um, and, and obviously centering sex and exercise is, is a little, it's okay. A lot of people want to know if they're okay to engage in sex and exercise. That's not the problem. The problem is when the entire appointment becomes about, oh, can you get on the treadmill and can you have penetrative intercourse? Like there's so much else going on for an individual in that, in that period of time. So, you know, and I think that, you know, um, I, I know that, myself, you know, um, becoming a parent and going through the system myself and, and acknowledging that we are not going to, you know, my, when I talked to my mom and my grandmother, they just, they just didn't have an expectation of things to be different. And so for our generation, you know, I'm an, I'm an older millennial. I, I have an expectation of a different level of care. And I think a lot of people do as well. And we, want, um, you know, we want more information, we, we, we tend to have be, a, you know, because we have s- so much information at our fingertips, we actually need a little bit more support, as we navigate this journey. And because we, we have this idea that we want to do everything right, right, we want to do everything the right way. And there's good side, there's great sides to that. There's also some negatives to that. But um, when our system isn't prepared to support that, we can feel like our concerns and our worries and our anxieties are being dismissed. And then we just, we don't have any faith in the system. We don't have any faith in our providers. So I think it's, um, and it's, it's just, a, it's a, <laughs> it can be a very vicious cycle, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's the perfect segue to talk about the millennial parent problem, which I know you talk about a lot on your page. And, you know, I I guess I never really thought about it before until you just said it right now that it's something that our moms and our grandmothers really never expected. And yet we as millennials do expect it. So tell us what is this millennial parent problem that you've coined? and, And also, I know that you talk about different factors that they have, like, how do we know that we have it? Or do all millennials? have it inherently. <laughs> you know, I think that the I think the majority of us are going to at least experience some of these these elements and it's certainly not um exclusive to millennials. I know that there's, you know, uh Gen X parents who experience it, there's Gen Z who experience it, but I think that it's really it is um it's very prevalent in, in the millennial generation. We can talk about why my theory is to why that that's the case, but there are four elements to what I call the millennial parent problem. The first is information overwhelm because we are being exposed to so many pieces of information and really opinion too on a daily basis. And so this has many of us feeling like we have to search for the right or the best answer 
we can get ourselves into some serious internet rabbit holes. And what happens is we have so much choice. We have so much information that we get fatigued with um, sorting through this data, trying to analyze it and find the best answer. So it's, it's exhausting the amount of information that we have to go through. And our motivations are so beautiful. I mean, we want to have a, a, a healthy pregnancy. We want to recover postpartum. We want to be good parents. It's such a beautiful motivation, but the, our, our, our parents and our grandparents, like there was a book, right. Or two, there was not this, there wasn't this explosion of information that they had to navigate. So what this does is when we have this amount of information and when we have screens around us all of the time, then we, we are really wiring our brain for this constant distraction mode. Our, our brain is always in doing mode. So we will, that's the second element of the millennial parent problem is these, this constant distraction. So we have notifications, emails, text messages, alerts that are constantly pulling us out of the, the present moment. We oftentimes will find ourselves reaching for screens and moments of stillness or silence. And then there's that mental chatter that just keeps going like, oh, I forgot to, you know, schedule that appointment or, you know, <laughs> I, I need to, you know, um, uh, make that phone call or return that text. So that's the second element. The third element is not trusting ourselves. And these things are all related. One of the reasons we don't really trust ourselves is because we have gotten into this habit. We really came of age um, in an information error. So era. So when we have a question, oftentimes we just go great. We go straight to Google. We're like, eh, what? <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. Let me look it up. And what that does is we haven't really established um, a trust with ourselves of, of figuring out um, problems on our own and, and going through our own trial and error oftentimes, because again, we have this pressure to find the right or the best answer. We're not really giving ourselves permission to like, hey, I'm just going to try the thing and see if it works, right? So we're, we're not necessarily establishing trust with ourselves. And we're also comparing ourselves mm -hmm. to so many people. And, you know, when our, our parents were our age, you know, there was their, their cohort, their friends, their, maybe their coworkers, it was all people in real life that they were comparing themselves to. Um, and now we're comparing ourselves to hundreds, sometimes thousands of different people online. And it's like, where do I fit in? It, it, we're, right. we're turning ourselves into pretzels. So that's the third element. And then the fourth element is what I call the do more pressure. And this is really a, a product of our productivity culture, um, especially for those of us who live in the United States. It's this feeling um, of um, discomfort with rest, feeling like we have to earn rest. The belief, the fundamental belief that being stressed and busy means that we're doing it right, right? Like if I'm not stressed and busy, then I must not be doing enough. Right. Um, and then feeling like we have to maximize and uh, and put do as much as we can in a single chunk of time. So we even do this with self-care. We will, you know, be, I have 20 minutes. So let me oh, I'll listen to a podcast. Why don't I throw on a face mask too? Oh, you know what? I can fold some laundry as well. And we're just every moment in and there's a lot of th this this problem these four elements are, are, are really exhausting and draining our energy and it, it it hits off a whole vicious cycle that I see so many parents going through 
Mm, I want to dive. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I want to dive a little bit more into, you know, some steps maybe yeah. that you have like recommendations to overcome a few of those. Um, but at the same time, I recognize the irony in that question because it sounds like a real millennial question to ask. Like, oh well you know, tell us how we can avoid all of this. And, you know, I don't know if there's a way to like break that that vicious fight cycle. Um, but I'm just curious too, um, you know, taking a step back before we dive into that, do you feel like that there is a realistic way to solve some of these problems? And, and I only ask because, you know, as I'm just speaking from like personal experience that as a new mom of now two children, um, I feel like some days, and this is me being really vulnerable too, that even when I do the absolute bare minimum, that I still feel that the overwhelming and not, and I don't, I don't think um, at least what I'm doing at this stage is necessarily toxic productivity, but it feels like a lot of busyness, you know, but a lot of it just is, I think it's inherent having like seven month old, so I guess, where do you draw the line between when you're evaluating your life, you know, if you're doing too much, or maybe you're just in a stage in life where it's kind of demanding too much and you are exhausted or, you know, besides getting, before we get into the steps of like how we can avoid that, how, if someone's listening, how can we evaluate our life, our lives and know where we fit in that trajectory, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, totally. I, I, th- I think that makes, uh, really wonderful sense. And I think what we have to realize is that we are, um, we are renewable resources, but we are not unlimited resources, right? Mm -hmm. So um, understanding that we have, there's a finite amount of energy and hours that we have in our day. And what I see so many people doing is just believing that they should be able to do more. And so they think, well, I'm not doing enough. I should be able to do more. And they just add on the pressure and the pressure. And it's so that that pressure in and of itself is exhausting. That's true. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just being you know, um, really engaging in a lot of self-compassion. There's a ton of data on self-compassion too. Okay. Um, and so engaging in self-compassion, realizing, no, this is really, I am doing, I, I'm probably doing more than if you're at a stage where you're feeling overwhelmed, you can probably tell yourself like, I'm actually doing more than I should be. And I, I, I cannot do more. In fact, I really should be doing less. And I, I you know, the reality is, is that um, we have, we have, we have to look at the base, like the, the reasons why we feel so much pressure um, and why we feel so overwhelmed and, and part of it, it's not the only piece because again, there are, there are certain things that are out of our control. You know, some of us, um, are working three jobs just to, to feed our family. And some people have, have full-time 24 seven childcare, right? So like there's, there's a huge range here. So some of this is, is out of people's control. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, there's those factors as well, but when it comes to what we do have agency and control over Mm -hmm. is understanding, um, am I, potentially opting in to productivity and, and doing 
and getting things done because that's where I'm getting a, a lot of my my sense of worth and accomplishment. I know that that for me that's something that I really really had to look at right. when I became a parent because I really I was one of those people who I'm an achiever, I'm a goal getter. I want to I, I feel so good when I get things done during the day. Um, but if I keep on, if I was to continue, have continued on that mode, I would have, I would be completely burned out now. So it's, it's about mm-hmm. assess, you know, it's un- unfortunately, this is deep work. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it, it is 100%. It's something that can be done, but it's not like, you know, when, when people are looking for quick tips, there's a few quick tips, but most of this is is deep work. Um, but it is so rewarding and valuable. It is, Mm -hmm. it's really, it's life changing and and life giving. So it's not quick, but it's important. Hmm. So going into the the practical steps and if you have any tips yeah. uh, for overcoming the four factors, and I understand that, as you were saying, it's a deep process, but maybe just enough to get anyone listening started. For the, the information yeah. overload, uh, I know that, that you mentioned yeah. that we do feel like that we need to have an opinion on everything and, and not just an opinion I've noticed, but an immediate opinion and You know, my husband brought this up, um, I think it was last year when we were just talking about how the difference between giving an opinion now versus like 100 years ago, you would get a piece of news and, you know, we'd have to travel because we didn't have the Internet. And so it would take a while to get to you. And then you would read it in a newspaper and then you would digest it and then you would talk about it. And it was just so much slower And then you would formulate an opinion and then you could give your opinion, you know, but it was just such a slower process. And then now it's like the internet and someone posts something in, I don't know, like a Facebook group that you're a part of. And then everyone's rapid firing responses and forming immediate opinions. And it's, it's like, I don't know and think like, I'm not a doctor. I'm so I, I I mean, it's not like a medical perspective, but I don't feel like our brains should be wired to give like immediate responses. Right. So I guess what are some practical steps that in a world where everything is immediate, that we cannot be so immediate? Yeah. So, um, there's a, there's a few things to kind of unpack there, you know, um, one, I think that we, we have to understand that online spaces are inherently dehumanizing. Okay, so we, Mm -hmm. we um, are seeing people as a, uh, we are seeing a person encapsulated in a comment or a post. And human beings are just, especially after 2020, because obviously, we spent a lot of time away from each other. And thus, we we did a lot more, at least in my anecdotal experience, my personal experience, it seems like there's a lot more dehumanization that's going on online and mm-hmm. just like putting people into these categories and not having really connected knowing and context for what people mm-hmm. are talking about. So, you know, the important thing that, that I always try to remember, and this is, I have to navigate because I spend so much time on Instagram. Like I have to navigate these online spaces all the time. Like even today I posted a reel that, you know, I spent so much time on. I, I think I thought it was freaking hilarious. And like literally number two is tagged some other influencer and said, yours was better. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just like cracked up. I was oh, like, no. it's, like, it's <laughs> like people don't even think they don't even. And you know what? This person I'm sure didn't even think about the fact that like there was another person on the end of something. And this is something that they created right. and put out into the world. And immediately somebody says right. yours wasn't as good, you know? So for me, what it's right. important mm-hmm. is to understand to, to picture the person on both sides, you know, understand that there's a human being behind this. And um, sometimes I'll see a post too, and I'll get fired up and I'll, I'll think that I have opinion. And then I'll just like hit right. the brakes. Sometimes you right. have to hit right. the brakes. Would you say that that person face to face? Probably yes. not, right? Yes. We, we just have to be reminded a little bit more of the humanity. And we also mm-hmm. need to be reminded too that 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 we are humans and we are separate from our our online the online space is just one small element of of who we are and what we put out there is just one small element of it. And that's why I'm such, we talk so much about screen time limitations and boundaries for kids. And we really need to be talking about it more for ourselves. Because if you have a screen around and the data shows us very clearly, like you're, you're, even if you have your phone next to you, your eyes are moving towards that phone on a regular basis in a way that if, mm. if you, it's not in your eye eyesight, that it's not. And so instead of being like, oh, we should, I, sh- I shouldn't be on my phone as much, right? People say this to themselves right. all the time. Don't, right. don't expect yourself if your phone is around to be able to resist its, its, drive. I mean, I'm sure you and, and your listeners have probably had the experience where you don't know how you got on your phone and you're on your phone or you were were meant to go on to check one email. And then you're like, wait a second, how did I get on freaking Facebook or Instagram or TikTok? This is my plan. It's not, it's not a personal failing. This is, this is the the nature of our brains and our brains relationship with this device. So healthy screen time Mm -hmm. boundaries, turning it off, physically removing it. And, um, especially if you can avoid it, not sleeping with your phone next to you are really important steps to take to get your brain out of this busy kind of doing mode on your phone. Mm, I like that a lot. How about for that, the aspect of information overload? Because I know that you had mentioned that millennials, and I'm guilty of it too, that we just want to find like the best answer And it's funny that that we end up trying to Google a lot of things too, at least for me personally, sometimes what stopped me from just continuing to research things is that I realized that every, just as you were saying that there's humanity in each individual and that every person is different, every situation is different, every child is different, every parent is different, and then you have the combination, everything. So it's just there, you know, there's so many complex factors going into what's the best decision for a family or an individual or child, a child, those sorts of things. Uh, so I guess, how yeah. can you reconcile that? And then the information overload, how can we give our, give ourselves like a practical check? Like, do I really need to Google no. this or can I rely on myself? Yeah, there's a, there's a few things that I think are important to, to talk about here. First, one of the reasons why I personally, information overwhelm is not something that, that affects me um, personally, even though I see it a lot in other people, is because as a physician, I have 
gone through the experience of going to medical school and having the best research, cutting edge information at the time. And then literally two, three, four years later, learning, okay, what we know now is different. We're scratch that we're moving on. So the the idea to, for me is, is that our knowledge is constantly evolving. And the idea that, that when we are engaging, we were looking for information in which we are not an actual expert, that we are, that we put the pressure on ourselves to be on the cutting edge, when that cutting edge is not necessarily the truth and the reality. It's an approximation. And I don't know, you've probably seen that even with recommendations for like, you know, with pediatricians, like at first it's like introduce peanuts early. Oh no, let's wait to introduce peanuts later. Oh, we're going to go back to introducing peanuts early. So to me, it's just like, you Uh know what, I'm not, I'm not going to put that pressure on myself to, to find what all the research says about everything some things you can pick and choose what you want to really get into, but I'm not going to do it for all of the things because I know that in a year, the recommendations could be completely different. So like take the pressure off. So that's, that's one of the things it's like this, there is this pressure to kind of be a PhD parent, right? To like be a freaking expert in all of these things. And it's, it's, it's just not, it's not possible. And it really detracts from our ability to, Parenting is not just about knowledge, it's about action, right? And when we're so focused on the knowledge, we oftentimes are missing out on the action and the rest and rejuvenation that's required to show up in tough moments, tough tough parenting moments, and not be so freaking overwhelmed. So give yourself permission to not Google because you don't know in 15 minutes, kiddo might have a tantrum. And the fact that you've just like given yourself a headache on Google is not going to be helpful for that situation. So that's, that's, you know, one thing I just want to give parents permission to like, you don't need to be an expert on this stuff. You don't need to know what the most current research is all the time. If they're, that doesn't mean don't right. do it at all, but don't feel the pressure to do it for everything. Right. And then. Right. And don't feel overwhelmed. In the yeah. And, and if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, like just, cu- just cut it off. Like that's never a good space to learn in or get information in. Um, and, you know, the, the idea, I also want to, what many people do right now is they will have a question, a parenting question, a pregnancy question, whatever it is, they will have a question and the, their, um, what they do is they go online on social media or whatever. And the idea is that I'm going to gather information. I'm going to search and gather information and then I'm going to analyze. Mm -hmm. Our brain is really good at doing that. The problem is too much information, right? So what I tell, um, what I, you know, talk a lot about on Instagram and I, I tell the parents in my community to do is instead of going straight to an online search, if you have a question, just sit with it for a second. Think, what do I think is the best answer just from what I know? My situation, my kiddo, my pregnancy, what do I think is the right answer? And what that allows your brain to do is to develop a theory, an idea. And then once you've developed that idea or theory, you can say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about a lot of this, but there's this piece, there's this piece of knowledge that I'm missing. And I just want to confirm that piece of knowledge. 
And so you'll go and then you can do your search or you can you can consult a friend or an expert and try to fill in that piece. And what that allows you to do is, you know, parenting is not or our pregnancy or not many of the things that we're looking up online. These are not objective questions that we need answered. There, there are questions that we need answered for ourselves with our context. There is not one right answer for everybody. There's an answer that's best for us. And so we need to center our own intuition, our own thoughts before we go and do the search. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that because then you're doing what you had mentioned earlier, which is try to rely on yourself and also be confident yes. in yourself that, that you can make decisions too. And then it seems that that would then reinforce that behavior. So then you are more enabled in the future to do that. So I, I really yeah. like that a lot. Uh, I'd love to talk more about the toxic productivity. <laughs> this might be my, as a recovering type A personality, I mean, I, I'm a lawyer, so I relate to you going to med school and, yep. and being all super busy because I had to recover from that as well. Um, and I'm, you know, still a work in progress, but I feel like I've, you know, made a lot of progress, but I still have, have a ways to go. Um, what are your tips for this? And also, I, I just wanted to footnote um, that question too, with just mentioning that I noticed that you said that it's an American problem, because I do have some relatives who live in Europe, um, specifically yeah. Germany. And I don't know if it's just what I am perceiving their way of life, but I feel like they live completely differently than anyone yeah. I know in, in the United States. Like, they don't view vacation as a negative thing that they just, you know, when they want to take some time off, they just take it and they don't just take like a few days off. Like we do here. They take like weeks off. They're like, Oh, I'm going yeah. to Greece. They're like, Oh, I'm going to like yeah. this other Island. And, and I'm like, well, thinking, didn't you just take off some time like a few months ago? You know, like my American brain is like thinking that. Um, but it's just so funny that, I mean, I wish that, we were more like that. And that also the employers were okay with us, like actually using our vacation days. Um, because I know that that doesn't help. That's like a separate issue. Uh, but yeah. anyway, apart from like the employer side, cause I know, um, you know, we can only control what we can control. What are some practical tips of what's within our own control of how do we stop ourselves from this toxic, pro toxic productivity cycle and just thinking we have to constantly be doing something every moment of the day. Yeah. So I think for me personally, you know, I'm, I'm a total nerd. So understanding where some of these ideas come from um, was very helpful to me and, and understanding where does this, I, this toxic productivity, particularly in American culture come from. And the reality is that we can trace back these um, ideas about work ethic and laziness and sloth and all we can trace this back to like the 1600s to the Calvinists. And, um, you know, there was this, this um, belief that, um, and it was really, it was a, a religious belief that they held that you could only show your faith through um, work. And that, um, it, that's where this, these ideas that being lazy and, and, um, like not rest was laziness and sloth and idleness is sin. These are at the, the foundation of, you know, the puritanical society that, that, that started the United States. So we have this, um, this work ethic and that is 
these messages about work and laziness and all of this that are really um, embedded in our in our culture. And, you know, certainly in the the legal culture in the United States, the medical culture, I mean, (laughs) talk about toxic productivity. I mean, like, I can remember the, the people who had appropriate boundaries in medical school and residency were labeled, you know, like, lazy and like not good residents and you had to you had to freaking be killing yourself to be considered like oh the best doctors are the ones that never eat don't sleep it's awful awful stuff so like (laughs) depend there's this baseline of um toxic productivity in our culture and then on top of it depending on what your field is it it can get even worse so, um, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, we really have to, the, the st- first stage is being aware of these messages and, all, and questioning them. Mm-hmm. Like, is it, is it true that stressed and busy means that that, that, that should be normal? We, we take it as normal, right? If somebody says to you like, oh, hey, how are you? And they're like, oh, I'm just, you know, kind of stressed and busy. You're not like, oh my yeah. God, What? It's like, yeah, that's the new okay, right? Just, I think the very beginning is just questioning that. Do I want for myself and for my family, stressed and busy to be the normal baseline? And I say for yourself and your family, because I think that we think that as parents, well, I will be stressed and busy so my kids can, can have all the things, Right. But that's just not how it works when we are um, when we are in a relationship or when we're in a family, right? We're all doing emotional co-regulation all the time. Our brains are actually de- designed to our emotions feed off of each other, um, and we can, if you're interested in that, we can certainly talk about how that happens. But you know, mm-hmm. our when you're around someone who's stressed and overwhelmed, what what does it feel like to, to next to them? doesn't feel great right so it's not it's not just about us so just understanding that question the messages and Mm -hmm. being stressed and busy is not the best like question the idea that that's what's best for your kids we're being told that all the time and it's just not true Mm. I would actually like to talk more about that because I, I actually have never even heard about the what did you call it the emotional co-regulation yeah emotional co-regulation yeah and you know I am there are people who are like super experts in this I I am a neuroscience nerd I have a degree in neuroscience so this is like this is a hobby of mine um but basically um we have something everybody in there has something called mirror neurons in their brain And these are really cool cells that basically when you are around another person, actually, even if you're just looking at another person, a picture of another person, Mm -hmm. the the facial expression that they're making, the way that they're holding their body, your mirror neurons are going to fire and actually recreate that facial expression on your face. So if you're looking at a bunch of pictures of people smiling and you should try it. It's really cool. Anybody listening should just try it. Like Google pictures of people smiling and notice like you will find yourself all of a sudden you are smiling. And what happens when we recreate facial expressions is we actually feel the emotion that they're tied to. Mm-hmm. 
So that's why when you are like your partner isn't, you know, you can say to your partner, like, Hey, what's wrong? Like, are you, are you okay? Like what's going on? And they're like, I'm fine. Why, why do you think that there's something wrong? You're like, I don't know. I can't really like explain it to you, but I can tell. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's your mirror neurons telling you, you can't even, you might not even be able to, to pinpoint what it is about how they're holding their body or how they're holding their face. You might not be able to consciously pinpoint it, but oftentimes that's, you are picking up on some subtle uh, signals from them. So those emotions are going, we're ping-ponging off each other's emotions all the time. And our kids are doing it too. The problem with our kids is our kids can't say like, Hey mom, like what's wrong with you? Like I'm feeling that. They're just like feeling, they're little empaths that are just like feeling it. But they can't say, oh, it's mom's stress that I'm feeling. They just right, feel. right, yeah, because so. they're still learning and growing, probably too, and maybe they're just thinking that that's normal or something. And, and yeah, I mean, or whatever. The, the reality is, is that it it is nor like it is normal for our emotion to just like you can, for example, if you are on, um, you're looking at pictures on your phone, right, and you see a sad face you may, it may actually make you feel sad. And it is normal to actually go through ebbs and flows of emotions. But oftentimes, as human beings, we try to look for the source of the emotion and and make and create a story around it. And that can can actually, so it is normal for our children to experience other people's emotions and and to go through emotions. We just don't realize that it's normal, that emotions can come and go. We are more about fixing and doing when it comes to our emotions, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Wow. I know it's kind of like a a little side tangent, but um, I've heard something similar, not the the mirror neurons, but I've heard uh, that the heart has like electromagnetic waves. And again, like I'm not a scientist, but I read, I don't know if you've heard of the book, uh, the heart speaks, but it's where like the heart and I don't want to like say too much. Cause I, I know I'll probably, probably butcher it, but basically like the heart has like magnetic waves and this is like in total non-science yeah. terms, but like they communicate. And especially when you're around something, just like you were saying, when you can tell that someone's you know, off or that they're emotional or something that you're the magnetic waves of your heart kind of like are communicating in some way. I don't know. I'm just curious. We are, we are communicating like and we don't even fully understand the interplay of, you know, even when you think about hormones, for example, if, you know, when, uh, when women or people who ovulate are ovulating, um, we will give off pheromones. And if you, yeah, yeah, if you expose, this is a study that used men. Um, if you expose men to female ovulatory pheromones and you ask them to pick a strategy for solving a problem when they are exposed to their pheromones, they are more likely to pick a cooperative strategy rather than an individualistic strategy. Um, Because the idea is that cooperation, at least in in human beings, is seen as a positive mating signal or attribute. So (laughs) so listen, there there is, and this isn't just like for our partners, this is like you're around your coworker or your brother or whatever, and you're ovulating and they, their behavior will be impacted by, by those pheromones. So 
This is just what this is just to say is we really need to get out of this idea that taking care of ourselves, managing our stress um, is is something that is a an us problem. It is really a it's it's about our relationships. It's about our family. And Mm. I always I share this information with people to empower them to to not feel guilty about taking care of themselves and to make it a priority because oftentimes, especially for those of us who are socialized as women, I have to point out to people that it, that it matters for other people. (laughs) (laughs) If I just say it matters, like you deserve to be happy. You deserve to not be stressed and overwhelmed all the time. Um, It kind of goes in one ear out the other. Yeah, that's so funny that you say that because I have noticed that women don't tend to take things seriously. And then this this is just generalizing. They don't seem to take things seriously if it's just themselves that are impacted, right? It's only if it's their children or if it's their relationship with their spouse or something like that. Um, One interesting fact about even this podcast is that I originally only wanted to have it be um, on topics about women and themselves. But then whenever I had topics on about kids and like kid development, you know, potty training, you know, sleep training, all this, it's like those episodes blew up. And so I'm like, okay, like all the moms, they just want to know, like, how do I feed my child? Like, let's hear about this pediatric nutritionist. Like, again, I'm not saying that those episodes that I've had are bad. Like, I I personally love those episodes. Like, those are the most popular ones we have. But then I try to sprinkle in other ones like, you know, like this one, I'm like, okay, well, you know, now you have to take care of yourself, but that's a good reason to, because then now we know that how you feel, it impacts everything else around you. Yeah. And, you know, I think that um, particularly with our information era, with, with social media, we um, are, are teaching parents that being a good parent is about having all of the right knowledge and making all of the right decisions. And it's very much, a um, a knowledge based parenting, and I I'm a I'm you know I'm an expert I'm a physician like I I value expertise I value knowledge, but I right. also think that really parenting is something very much that comes from within, and mm-hmm. it is something that f- it it flows from you. Um, it really, it flows out of you. And when you are stressed and overwhelmed and tired and it, you just, I know for myself, I'm just not, I am not, I'm not able to show up with the same presence, the same creativity, you know, I'm not able to avoid, you know, when you're tired, it's really hard to be creative enough to avoid <laughs> the toddler tantrum that requires you somehow making it their idea to do the thing and yeah. to offer them all the choices. So, yeah, you know, no, sure. there's, to me, it's like taking, uh, taking care of myself um, is, is, is a parenting skill. 110%. Yeah. I like that so much. When, when you were saying that, it sort of uh, reminded me of, you know, just kind of being in tune with yourself and and trying to really tap into who you are as an individual. I know it, it might sound like a complete, uh, you know, sidetrack to go on this, but uh, when I was in college, I, I did beauty pageants, you know, all the Miss America yeah. pageants, and I, and I was Miss Hollywood. And I, I kind of like try to not talk about that that much. <laughs> Um, but it's so funny that my dad saw me do these pageants and I was always trying to be like the other person, like 
the last Miss California did this and this and like right, analyze right. it like the last and then she did this and she did like she wore this she did that and then my dad was like Emily just be yourself like what happens if you would win just because you're being yourself and then like I, at the time I didn't believe him and then later looking back on it I was like oh I I wish I was myself, you know, like, yeah, yeah, maybe all the girls who won wore white, but maybe I could have won wearing green because I was my favorite color. Like that's not, but I'm yeah. just like giving an example, yeah, you know, totally. so when, when you're saying all this stuff, it's kind of like parenting, right? It's like, we try, we're trying to like, almost like make ourselves like a beauty pageant, right? It's like, yes. oh, let's follow the winners, what they do. And then it's like, yes. well, I don't know. You might be Miss America without doing all that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's so true. And this, what, what you're speaking to is a fundamental belief that, that I have and um, that I talk to, um, you know, the people in my audience and my community about all the time is that I really believe that our children are our soulmates. And mm, that we were given that. them for a reason. And mm -hmm. if we are letting everybody else tell us how to parent, if we're letting all of the notifications and emails and whatever pull us out of the present moment, and we're not mm -hmm. being true to ourselves, then we are not honoring that sacred connection, that soul connection we have with our children. So to mm -hmm. me, when I lean into my strengths as a parent, and, and I forget the fact that like, I'm, I am, I do not make cute or nice meals for my kids. Like I, I, if, I don't they have to remind me sometimes to like, my daughter will be like, mom, can I have some lunch? And I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, here's some string cheese and some cucumber. Like, <laughs> like I, it is not my strength. It's yeah, not, it's not mine either. Yeah, you know, so it's like I'm not going to beat myself up about that because I'm right. really good at this other thing, and I'm going to lean into that strength and focus on that strength. And you know, like I'll let my husband deal with the food, and I'm not going to beat myself up about the fact that right. I am. I don't know what most of the time I'm scrambling to find <laughs> something to eat. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Gosh, when you were saying that, I was like tearing up about kids being your soulmate because I've thought of that too. It's like, you know, what, you know, what had to align in order to have this particular child be yours, you know, it's yes. just incredible to think about. And I, you know, I heard you talk about this in another podcast that I listened to that, you know, when you're super stressed and busy that, that you miss out on, on those moments and, and I, I just think that that's, that's so true. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about parenting is that, um, you know, in, at least in my experience, parenting is all about the small moments. It's all small moments, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and um, mm -hmm. they, they grow, you know, I have a, a four-year-old and I have a 16-month-old and, you know, the, this, this, oh, they, they, grow so fast. I mean, it's, it's true. Right. And you just, I the know. thing that yeah. really always, when I have, when I'm making a choice, when I'm making my choices about how to spend my time um, and I can spend it in a way that is probably going to leave me more tired and overwhelmed and, you know, just to be productive. Right. Cause I want to get something done. Or if I can choose to like, you know what, I'm going to spend some time in rejuvenation, what I always go back to is I need to be rested. I need to be so that I can 
be present for those beautiful little Mm -hmm. moments because you never know when it's going to be the last Mm -hmm. time that your kid does that really cute thing that you just love, you know? Um, And I, there was, my daughter used to do sign language and she would do, she'd sign for more and she used it for everything. Like anytime she was happy, she would make the, she, she did a, not the normal more sign, but she made her own more sign and she would do it when she was happy. And it was so (laughs) cute. She just, and one day, it was the last time yeah. that she did that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to me, it's like, it's, it's so clear that, you know, when, when given an opportunity where I can do something that's going to provide, make it so that I'm more present for those mm-hmm. small moments, I need to choose mm-hmm. that thing. And, and the productivity and the to-do list, listen, there are things that there are, door handles in my house that need to be fixed. Yeah. There are there are broken yeah. items. There are messes that need yeah. to be cleaned to up. My closet. But <laughs> I mean, girl, there's a pile on my floor that's been there for weeks. Yeah. You know? So but and eventually, hopefully there'll there'll be a there'll be a moment where I can do that. But really it's about yeah. priorities. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. It's funny that I, I just saw a friend last weekend and she and her sister, uh, shout out to Lauren and Natalie that they listen to this podcast too. But uh, it's funny. They're like, Emily, like, I don't understand how you do it. You know, all this stuff. I'm like, you, you know, you're just like, go, go, going. I'm like, actually, I'm not like, I take a lot of breaks. And I was like, today I was going to clean up my closet, which I say I'm going to do every weekend. And instead I just laid on the bed, took a nap and then scrolled TikTok for a little bit while the kids nap. And I'm like, and it was great. Like it was really refreshing. Um, yes. So yeah, and then they're like, oh, that makes me feel better. Like, yeah, because they, they only see like the busy aspects of me, right? Yeah. And then they don't realize like, right. sometimes I just like, lay down and do nothing. So, And you yeah. know, it's, it's our brain needs that do nothing time. It really does require that time to... Um, to there's a bunch of activity that happens in our brain when we're quote unquote doing nothing that's really important mm. especially for making plans for the future so it's oh, it's not lost and and we shouldn't feel oh. guilty mm, i like that yeah yeah hey that's a way to turn like rest time into productivity in disguise right <laughs> you know this the thing is it really is like our brain needs time to to run some background programs to sort out some stuff mm. it needs that time so if you can give yourself some mental quiet yeah. it's it, it's really beneficial that's good to know well gosh I've really enjoyed our conversation so much I feel like I can just keep on talking and <laughs> learning so much from you so I really appreciate you taking the time where can our listeners find you online if they want to learn more and I know that you you offer some classes too so tell us about that Yeah so I'm um Dr Sterling I'm Dr Sterling OBGYN on Instagram and um I am obsessed with making funny reels so <laughs> My husband is like, it. you went to really school <laughs> and why are you spending so much time? <laughs> He's like, these are funny, but like, where did your, what is going on with your career? Like, how did this happen? So, um, but I love it. And uh, yeah, so I spend a lot of time on Instagram. I also have a community called Sterling Parents, where we really attack the millennial parent problem head on 
and move ourselves out of the, the overwhelm and the exhaustion. And um, yeah, so those are the two places that I spend my time.